2. It's one of my favourite chapters, as is so many chapters in the Bible. One of my favourite chapters. Um, as is Acts is one of my favourite books, as is so many other favourite books I've got. So I just love the Bible at the end of the day. It says this in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all, take note, they were all filled. Not just one or two, not just the disciples, not just the family of Jesus. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. I'm glad that bit's over. Egypt and the other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But there were others mocking who said they are filled with new wine. So this morning we're going to continue on our journey through the Acts of the Apostles, known by some as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I understand why they might use that terminology, because you see God at work throughout every chapter of the, uh, of the book of Acts in some form or other. Either there's prayer meetings going on where the place in which they were was shaken, or there is, as we would see if we went on just slightly further in chapter 2, we would see a mighty ingathering of people into God's kingdom. 3,000 were added, were added interesting note it doesn't say to the church it just says 3,000 people were added added to the Lord in following him whether you call it the acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the apostles doesn't really matter it probably be better entitled the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles because that is what actually happened and we have this guy Dr. Luke who and he was a doctor and the reality is he is quite meticulous in his recording and he he records things for us not by accident now I know that there is the prompting and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and that all of scripture is God breathed and inspired but you still have to have someone who will pen it 
And God doesn't work apart from us. He works with us and through us. And so Dr. Luke, he has chosen to do this particular work because probably of his meticulous nature. The fact that he would record things as they were either told him or he observed them himself. And so... This is an exciting book. This is the type of book, this is, I would have loved to have lived then. I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have lived then. By the way, love, can you wave at me at about uh, no more than 22, please? Put your hand right up so I see it. It's just there's something wrong with my phone and I can't get the uh, clock to work. So here he is, he's writing his second volume, he's recording for us how, what he'd recorded for us already, what happened during the time of Jesus, how Jesus worked, he brought us to that end of Luke in, in, in the last chapter and he tells us how Christ ascended into heaven and then he starts Acts chapter, or his book of Acts, and he, he starts it where he left off the last one which is to show in my mind that this is, Jesus ascending into heaven isn't the end, it is only the beginning, it is a new beginning, Jesus came as promised and now Jesus is going to continue to do his work but now instead of him being present in body he's going to do it through the body of Jesus's followers so he's been raised from the dead 500 people I wonder if you've ever considered this thing that this morning that we're reading back in Acts 1 it's about 120 people together we're not told how many people are here but I wouldn't be surprised if they were gathering together regularly for prayer that there's about 120 here here at the same time which begs the question all right it does beg the question and I don't want to offend anybody but it begs the question all right, were they actually in an upper room in a back street or were they in an upper room in the temple at the time meeting together to pray? Because when we get to the response of the 3,000, how on earth would 3,000 people, I've walked in those streets, I've actually been to the place, the room which is said to be where the, the Last Supper and everything took place and where they, they're, they're, some people believe they went back to uh, again, there's no way 3,000 people would be able to respond in that space. There just isn't room for them. However, if you were at the temple in that open space, then 3,000 people is nothing. You could got a lot more, you know. So, but I wonder if you've ever thought, if there was 120 of them, what happened to the 380? Have you ever wondered that? There were 500 who saw Jesus alive after he raised from the dead in one moment. What happened to the other 380? I've often wondered that. To think that 380 people missed this magnificent moment just because they couldn't be bothered to hang around with the others. Now maybe I'm being unkind there. Maybe they had busy lives and had to get back to farms or whatever it was that they had to get back to. But the reality is only 120 out of that 500 that we know of were here at this moment. God isn't dictated to, by the way, by numbers. He can do 
loads through 12, he can do loads through 1, he can do loads through 500. The number is immaterial to one degree, but I have found myself asking that question, where were they? Why hadn't they hung around? So what we've got is we're back into the declaration of the indisputable resurrection. We've got the thing that is going to happen here is the indispensable nature of the Holy Spirit. You see, they can meet in an upper room. They can pray all they want to. They can appoint leadership through prayer. They can do all those things, but they were never going to fulfill the Great Commission or the charge that Jesus gave them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the ends of the earth without the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in their lives. The promise that their father, that Jesus had made them, that he would go back to the father and he would ask the father to send them the Holy Spirit. The promise that comes from the father. Why was that so important? It was important because Jesus knew that they would never achieve what was necessary without it. And I want to tell you, this is exciting because what we're seeing at this moment in this book is the fulfillment of prophecy from 800 years earlier in the book of Joel, all right? In fact, the very words that are taken um, about the outpouring come from the book of Joel and how God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Peter was asked, well, well, what is this? He said, this is that. This is that is the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Joel about the outpouring of the Spirit. Then it's the fulfillment and the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham all those years earlier where God told him that your descendants, you know, they're going to be numerous. And this isn't just for you. This is for the world. Your descendants are going to bless the whole of the earth. This is a fulfillment of what God said to Abraham hundreds of years before that. And therefore, this is why this is an exciting moment in the life of the church. Because it is the fulfillment of prophecy. I wonder if you've ever thought about your life walking with God, that you are part of the fulfillment of the prophetic. Have you ever wondered and thought about that? That when you share Jesus with someone else, you are in fact being part of the fulfillment of the prophetic word that was given all that time ago. It's continuation into eternity until Christ returns and takes his people to be with him. Or he comes, depending on your position, and he renews his kingdom here on earth. And we'll get into that at some later date. So, the amazing thing, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit has specific, specific um, work to do. We know that the Bible says he convicts of sin. We know that the Holy Spirit comes and he teaches. John 16, 13, that the Father would send them the Holy Spirit who would lead them into all truth. And so, not only does the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, but the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. It empowers us for witness. Jesus said that in Acts 1.8. 
In fact, I had this thought in preparation for this. In Colossians, it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, this is in Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been filled in him. Think about that. In Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. And in us, he dwells. Jesus said, those who obey me, we, my Father and I, we will come and make our home in you. Alongside the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you grasp that fact that the Godhead lives in us? That is absolutely amazing. We should get excited about that. That means wherever I go at any time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with me. He's there all the time. I'm never alone. Even in the deepest, darkest places I might find myself, I am never, never alone. God is with me in all his fullness. Now that blows my mind because how can all his fullness be in me and in Steve and Sally Ann and Tony and Chris? and Malcolm, and, uh, and everybody else in this room. Hey, I can't put God in a box, I'm sorry. I can only just say what the Bible says, and God is dwelling and living in us. So on a, today's journey, we are at this moment of fulfillment of the outpouring of the Spirit Joel 2, 28 and 29, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Who dreams dreams here? Uh, we're, we're getting on then. That's, that's all it means. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Who are the visionaries in here? Who sees visions? Anybody see visions? Don't be afraid to put your hand up. All right. Well, you're young then, all right? So we now can make a distinction. I'm old, you're younger, all right? Even on the male and female servants, servants being anointed by the Holy Spirit, what is God doing? He's breaking social order and convention. I mean, slaves, come on. Why would we give the Holy Spirit to them? I mean, they're the, they're the ones who serve us. But God breaks down all those false walls. We know that because the scripture says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. God breaks down all those walls that separate us and keep us apart from one another. Joel is an amazing book. He focuses on and explores some profound ideas how human sin and failure wreak havoc and devastate and destroy our world. And let's be honest, you don't have to look around much today to know that that's going on. We watch daily pictures from Ukraine where there is obliteration of cities, not just uh, uh, knocking a few buildings down, but total obliteration. And, and we know that sin wreaks havoc. That the, the sin that is demonstrated through the desire for power and the, even the excuses that we give for exercising such power, the reality is sin destroys. And it's not just Ukraine and Russia, it's all over the place. You see it in 
you know, um, sex trafficking, the slave trade, the modern day slave trade. You see it in the city of London where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You see this, this breakdown of what's going on and how flimsy everything is that holds together. But thanks be to God, I serve the living God, the God who is over all and in all, the God who will not let me down, will not, he has promised to walk with me and be with me and be with you. And no matter what is put against us, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain. That's what scripture tells us and we hang on to that. Jesus knows us. Jesus cares about us. The Father knows us and cares for us as his children. We need not be afraid. We may feel overwhelmed, but we do not need to be afraid because he is in control. So here is the background. Ah, I might not even finish this one. Here is the background. I really think that we have to understand the background to this particular time. Why the day of Pentecost? Why not a Friday instead of a Sunday? Because the day fell on a Sunday. Why, why on a fr- not on a Friday? Why not on a Tuesday or a Monday? Why on the day of Sunday, the day of Pentecost? Why? Why this moment? So let's have a look at that. The Feast of Pentecost fell exactly 50 days after Passover. Exactly 50 days. And therefore... It is to mirror the amazing historical moment for the Israelites where God sent an avenging angel to basically take the firstborn from every family who did not apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of the door. They were slaves in Egypt. They had tried numerous occasions to escape only to have that earthly king exercise his power, relent on his promise, and to keep them as slaves. They had even seen all those mighty acts, the plagues of frogs, the river turning to blood. They'd seen all those things, and still this dude just resisted the power of God and of the almighty God. And yet, on this night... He gives his people instruction. Apply the blood of a lamb to the doorposts of the door and the angel will pass over and it will not touch your home. And to every door where the blood is not applied, judgment will fall. The avenging angel comes. Now I actually believe, some people might say, Surely if an Israelite had forgotten to apply the blood to the doorpost, God would have passed over anyway. I don't believe he would. He'd given us strict and direct instruction. And so as the angel went through that, that place, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, what happened was he looked for the sign, the application of the blood of the Lamb. And wherever he saw it, he passed over. No judgment was found. But where he didn't find it, judgment was found. And after that event, they could not wait to get rid of the children of Israel. And they left. 
They went through the Red Sea. They then, we know that the king, he, he got cold feet, suddenly thought, do you know what, I've been stupid. I know this has happened, but I'm going after them. And I, you, you, have you ever wondered why God does certain things? He took them down this place where there was no way out to the right, no way out to the left, and there was a sea in front of them, and the flipping army coming up behind them. They could see the dust cloud getting closer and closer. And then Moses says these amazing words, stand still and see the deliverance of your God. And he stretches out his staff over the water and the waters part and they pass through on dry ground and the chasing Egyptians must have thought, you are not going to get away from us now. And out they go into the sea going on the same path that the children of Israel went. The trouble was that God said, not now. Last Israelites foot out of the water. Splash, you're all gone. He saved them. They have a great old praise party on the other side. And it was rooted in life. They'd just been delivered from the hand of Pharaoh by the hand of the Almighty God. What? They got the tambourines out. They had a party. They were not slow. They would, I'm telling you, we're very reserved compared to what they would have been. They were dancing and I, I, I hope I don't offend anybody with this. I hate tambourines, all right? hate them. All right? There are, they are the instrument that should be destroyed, right? If anybody plays a tambourine here, don't worry. I, won't, I wouldn't come and take it off you, all right? But they banged the tambourines and they'll have banged drums and they would have got down and they partied. Something amazing had happened. They'd been looked after by their God, not just through the blood of the Lamb, but in their life that followed, they had got freedom. And they went on from there, and 50 days later, they arrive at Sinai. And you might remember that it's there that Moses gets hold of the law. It's there that their new life begins with God for real. Because... God tells them how he wants them to live in order to fulfill his purposes. So, that's the background. There are so many parallels. Jesus has died. The application of the blood, of the shed blood of the Lamb. We've escaped judgment. We're not under judgment. I'm excited about that. we're not under judgment anymore I'm free not free to live how I want but I'm free from judgment God loves me God loves me see he sees where my heart is postured it's towards him and as my heart posture is towards him that's why I live not under judgment but under love I will say if my heart takes a different direction and turns away from him, then, yes, I do believe I fall under the judgment of God. Some people say, are you once saved, always saved? This is my answer. You're always saved, but you make that decision every day. Every morning when you get up, you make that decision. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to be obedient to his commands? Am I going to bow my knee to his kingship? So here we are. 
this day, it's a big day. People from all over the world are coming. What a moment to pour out the Holy Spirit. What a moment. The place is packed. Packed with people. From all over the world. Devout men, it says. But there were women there as well. You're not left out. It's just a patriarchal writing that focused at the time on men. There were hundreds of thousands of people in this place. And the spirits poured out. And what happens is each person hears the declaration of God in their own language. They didn't need translators. They didn't need to wear a headset to know what Peter was preaching about. Or what was being said and declaring the mighty wonders of God. They all heard at the same time. They were blown away because these were Galileans, uneducated people. Do you know, so many of us allow ourselves to be hamstrung by God only because we don't feel we're educated enough or we know enough. But when God gets hold of you, it's not your education that he needs. It's your obedience and your willingness to step out on the water when everything in your head says, that ain't going to hold me up, but I'm going to do it anyway because God said. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be highly educated. I've got nothing against highly educated people, by the way. I love debate. I love that philosophical argument that goes on. I I love those things. But I'm not going to let them dictate to me. You know, and just because you might not be like me, when I read a book, I I don't just have to read the page. I have to think about what I've just read. And then I pull it apart in my head. And I'll pull it apart for days until, for a while, I might not even really realise what it is I read in the first place. Then I reread it and put it all back together. And and that's just the way I'm wired. You might be one of these people who you read scripture and it just, you just soak it, soak it in, you know. And you don't always understand what you read. I've got to be honest with you. I wouldn't worry about it. God will reveal it to you at due, in due time. We're all wired differently. So here are some things that I've noticed in this scripture. First, I want to go back to community. The amazing thing for me in these first two chapters is community, community, community. It is unity, unity, unity. The outpouring of the Spirit came because they were all together in one place. They were together. Together is important. It is about being together. It is about being in relationship one with another. And, you know, uh, it's just important. I, my faith grows when I'm with other people. When I start to talk to other people about Jesus and they share with me their story, my faith grows When I get shut out on my own, you know, some of us might have experienced that, you know. When we went through the pandemic, you know, sometimes it got a bit difficult being on your own and holding on to your faith. But nevertheless, you know, community is important. Now we have this opportunity to come together. Let's not squander it. Let's not waste it. Let's not fall out with one another and get upset with one another because it's pointless 
Eternity is a long, long time to be at odds with somebody, all right? I don't want to be at odds with people for eternity. Community is so important. What have I written here? Let me have a look. Oh, I won't bother with that. God once spoke to me out of, not just once, but God spoke to me on one occasion out of Scripture, and I love the verse. It's in Thessalonians 2.8. It says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. You know, sometimes we reduce everything to the irreducible minimum. So what is it unites us? We call ourselves Christians. As long as that's what holds us together, that's enough. I think God, yeah, all right, love, thanks. I'm not ignoring you, all right? But I am for a moment. Desirous of you. The reality for me is God wants more than us just to share in common the gospel message. God wants us to be affectionately desirous of one another. Love one another. It fits in with what Jesus taught. Love one another. Love one another. He who loves has God in them. He who doesn't love does not have God in them. He doesn't want us to be superficial. We might be a person who wants to keep ourselves to ourselves, and I'm not talking about unburdening every issue of your heart and your life, but the reality is for me, right? The reality is for me that he wants us to be in deep relationship one with another. How can I cry with you when you're suffering if I'm not deeply affectionate towards you? How can I really rejoice with you if you're just a number on my list? It can't be done. We need to know one another. And we all know that there are, like with Jesus, there were the three. There was the one, there was the three, then there was the twelve. It doesn't mean we don't have different levels of relationship. But we need to have the one and the three. We need to have the 12 and the 120. We need those relationships, all right? We need to have them. So they were together, and then here, suddenly, without warning, that word means, without warning, there was a sound, a mighty, which means violent, forcible, intense, rushing wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. There was nowhere to hide. Every place you could have gone, every corner you could have got into, every chair you could have hidden behind, you would not have protected you from this mighty, violent, rushing wind which entered the house. And then to have accompanied, as you looked around, probably a little bit, whoa, what's happening at first? You see these tongues of fire separate and flow over each person's head. You're going to be going... Wow, what on earth is going on? Do you know, I once listened to a tape of a meeting that took place where there was an evangelist preaching to Eskimos, of all things. Couldn't have got to a much colder place, could you? But in this uh, meeting, they, 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 they were um, 
they were preaching the gospel and they gave an altar call at the end and it was like the whole place, the whole village or whatever it was where these people were, they all came forward en masse and they just prayed over them around, around the issue of salvation and then asked God to anoint them with the Holy Spirit. And the next thing you hear is voices crying out, fire, 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 fire. It wasn't the place burning down. Because later on, afterwards, you get to hear the guy who was there and he said there were tongues of fire over each person's head and they were crying out, fire, fire. They could see tongues of fire. Now, I've never seen tongues of fire, but that doesn't make that any less real for me. I just, it's interesting, fire, fire and wind, they're untamable. They, they, they take you by surprise. I used to be a fireman, so I know that for a fact. I've been in a burning building where the fires come out behind me and not in front of me where I was going. It takes you by surprise. It gets in the wall and it comes out somewhere else. The reality is they're untamable and the Holy Spirit is untamable. God's Spirit will do what God's Spirit wants to do whether you like it or I like it or not. We get worried. What if we're just too excessively emotional? So what? If the Holy Spirit is on us, does it seriously matter whether we get emotional about it? I don't think so. I do believe, of course, there's always the chance that the flesh will be there. In fact, there's only one of three things. It's the flesh, the devil, or the spirit. One of those three, it will be. And we have to be discerning, and that's where the gift of discernment comes in. We have to be discerning about what is happening in that moment. Everyone, the all were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. Every one of them without fail amazing emotional responses to the Holy Spirit I'm just going to list them bewildered, amazed, astonished perplexed, questioning and mocking don't even worry if people mock you it's between you and God and his outpouring of his spirit. Here are your simple takeaways for today. If we want to see God move, we will need to reevaluate our priorities. We will need to reevaluate our priorities. What do I mean by that? I notice the corporate nature, the prayerful nature of the body of Christ. And I'm not saying prayer doesn't take place, but we're going to have to learn to corporately pray together. So that we might end up calling half nights of prayer, where we come together in this place and we pray and we worship and we pray and we pray and we call on the name of the Lord and we call and we call and we call. Without ceasing, we need to reevaluate our priorities. We will need to be obedient to God's ways and purposes and place this in first place above everything else. In Colossians, it says that Christ is to be preeminent, preeminent, in other words, above all and before everything else. The community of the kingdom will need to become important to us. The gathered 
body will need to become important to us. We will need to come together actively waiting, asking God to pour out his spirit, and we'll need to ensure that we're asking God for a fresh filling every day. Ephesians says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so don't be impressed. I've just got a good book, all right, that when I look it up, I can work out what it means. But it means this, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you do a one-off event and that's your lot. You be being filled. So these guys, the following morning, oh, God, hit me again, you know. Hit me again, Lord. They had a prayer meeting a few chapters later and the place in which they were was shaken and they asked God to give them courage and boldness. And what are they doing next? They're sharing the message of Jesus. Hit me again, God. Hit me again. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would say to you, and this is just me, and with this I will finish, the reality for me I'm not an initial evidence man, so whilst I might think that tongues is one of the most common signs of the baptism in the Spirit, it is not the only sign. The one thing I will tell you, however, you will know that something has changed. Something has changed. And you will be aware of that. Whether it is that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, whether all of a sudden you find yourself talking to others about Jesus where you haven't done that in the past, whether or not it's you picking up scripture and it's coming alive to you and you're just drinking it in, you can't get enough of it. It's just like meat on a page and you're just ripping it out and eating it one after the other you get a hunger for God's word you may pray in tongues you may prophesy later in the acts they spoke in tongues and prophesied so we don't know whether or not it is one precedes the other and in that account they didn't Peter never even got to finish his sermon which was a, a I mean I would have been gutted you know Not Peter, oh well, let's just go with this then, you know. But the reality is, you know that something has happened. And so if you've never had that experience, you've never, you think this morning, do you know, I'm not sure that I have ever had an experience where I just know that something has changed in me. Don't be embarrassed you're going to get opportunity because we will call for people, you know, and when we gather together, come and ask for prayer. Do it during the worship. It doesn't matter. Do it around communion. It doesn't matter. Come after the service and ask. It doesn't matter. We'll pray for you because I believe God wants all to be baptized in the Spirit. For those who might just worry that you think that I believe you can get saved without the Holy Spirit, I don't, all right? It's not like, you know, I've, I follow Jesus. The Bible says clearly he seals me with his Spirit. But I do believe that there is, a, whether you call it overflow, immersion. I'm, I, they use the word baptized. 
you know, absolute immersion, something other happens. And it's God's desire that we all experience that.